Good morning. Today's gospel reading is from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, if you would like to follow along in your pew Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and without, without him. Not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. I don't know if you are aware of this or not, but the program year we are launching today is a confirmation year. In a couple of weeks, we will gather our 7th and 8th graders and whisk them off on a retreat to begin the year-long process towards the journey towards claiming their faith as adults. The first three months of this process is referred to as the big picture. In our gatherings, we will look at an overview of what Christians believe. We will follow the arc of the story of God and God's people and all of humanity, the one given to us in the Bible, and we will look at the big themes of the Christian faith. Carter and I thought it might be interesting for us as a congregation to follow the confirmands in this venture. So for the next six weeks in our preaching and worship, we will look at the big picture given to us in scripture. The story of God begins, of course, in the book of Genesis, a title that actually means origins. There are two accounts of creation in Genesis, chapters 1 and 2. Chapter 1 is in a poetic form, and chapter 2 is in a narrative or a story form. This is the account that most people think of when they think of the Bible's creation story, Adam, Eve, the Garden of Eden. But today we read the other account. If you haven't read these two creation accounts back to back, I encourage you this week to take a few minutes to do that, to read the first two chapters of Genesis. It might surprise you. I hope it will just surprise no one on the front row, right? You've all got this down and remember this from your confirmation. Um, that these two accounts present two different orders of creation, and that contradiction presents a significant problem for anyone who looks to Scripture for a scientific outline or methodology of the formation of the universe. There are so many things we will talk about with the confirmands that arise from just this first chapter of Genesis. They will, of course, absorb them at the level of seventh and eighth graders, and, and that is a wonderful start. We will talk about the nature of scripture, how the Bible is not journalism or history in the modern sense of the word, or a science textbook in a post-Newton world. The Bible is a book of theology. That is, it's written over thousands of years from nomadic peoples to city dwellers in the Roman Empire, people who were God-breathed, as one translation has it. That is, they were inspired, breathed in, the spirit breathed in them, spirit of this God that they were just coming to know. We will talk about 
the beautiful partnership that God has designed between science and faith, how science and faith answer different and necessary questions, how science answers or seeks to answer questions of how and when. And religion explores answers to questions of who and why. We will talk about what it means to be made in the image of God, male and female, God created them, Genesis says. Does this mean that God has a body like a person and a body like a male or a female? No. That's not what the Hebrew word image, tzelen, means. So what does it mean? We will talk about that. And what does it tell us about what it means to be human? It is genuinely thrilling to witness young disciples' minds being exploding and being awakened to such conversations. If you are a parent or a grandparent, I hope you'll jump into the conversation with them as far as they will allow it. And these are the kinds of conversation that um, those of us who have been confirmed at all ages have in ongoing small groups in the church, Bible studies and Sunday school classes and prayer circles. Jump in. But as these compelling as these topics are, they are not the very first thing that scripture wants to tell us. So this morning, let us listen to the first syllables of the word of God, the first whispers that the spirit utters. How do the God-breathed scriptures begin to introduce us to the divine being. To hear these words from Genesis afresh, I'd like to invite you to, to listen to them in the way that we do with the confirmation class as a guided meditation. I invite you as I read this first chapter of Genesis to close your eyes. Close your eyes so that you can focus and not be aware of things around you. Just let the word come to you. You might want to let your hands lie open and empty on your lap. We say to the confirmands or to any whom we are teaching to pray or to meditate and receive God's word that our hands open and empty can be an outward sign of our inward condition our inward desire to be empty and open and ready to receive whatever the Holy Spirit wants to give us. I will pray first, and then as I read, I encourage you to picture what you are hearing. What is God breathing in this word? We will receive that in silence for a few moments at the end of the reading so you can notice what you are being given. First, let us pray. This is your word. We are your people. And we ask that your spirit will be at work between us and in us, that we might hear and receive what you are trying to say to mortals. 
Amen. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God vibrated, hovered, swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God called the dome sky. And there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, 
and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, of every kind with which the waters swarm, and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth and every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Amen. This is where the whole story begins. In a place, in a moment of mystery, of majesty, of wonder, 
This is where the God-breathed, big-picture story of God and humanity begins. It begins long before a star in the east and a babe in Bethlehem. Before Mount Sinai and Moses. It begins even farther back than human beings' appearance on the earth, before land and seas, back beyond the sun, beyond time, beyond order, beyond light. To introduce us to God, the first place scripture takes us is back to the gates of dawn. And even there, even then, we cannot pass through them. We must stand outside the gates looking through towards the one who is beyond, the one who is not in the sun or the stars any more than the potter is in the clay. We stand looking towards but not seeing, sensing, knowing there is something, someone there. Notice that scripture does not describe what God looks like. The ancient world around the Hebrew tribes did There were a lot of images of God circulating in the ancient world. The Egyptians described their God as a man with a crocodile head. The Hindi fire god Agni was seen to have two faces smeared with butter, seven tongues, gold teeth, seven arms, and three legs. The philosopher John Hicks observed that if you collected all the notions of God that human religions have manufactured, they would fill a book the size of what used to be a telephone directory. There are a lot of images floating around today, not only in the world around us, but also among us Christians. There are images we carry around in ourselves which we might not even be conscious that we hold. Many of our images of God are human projections of our own making, observes Dan Clendenin. For too often, he says, we create God in our own pathetic image. It's one thing for humans to be created in the image of God, but quite another for God to be created in the image of man. If I'm honest, he continues, it's disturbing to consider my pictures of God. There is God as Candyman. Sometimes I see God as absentee landlord, as vending machine, as concierge, short order cook, someone who's there to cater to my whims. There is God as magician to make my problems disappear. And God is puppeteer to engineer a petty detail of my life. When I feel the weight of my faults and failures, he says, God looms as a high school principal, a probation officer, or divine accountant. In an election season, we hear of God as national mascot. 
This deeply human impulse to create God in our own image is strong, it's misleading, and it's dangerous. At the opening retreat, we ask confirmands to draw a picture or describe how they see God. This is an important starting point in coming to know the God of Scripture. And over the course of the journey, if they are growing in understanding and faith, these childhood images will fall away. What would you draw? How would you describe your understanding of God, where you are in your life now? Do you need to outgrow some image you carry around? Or does God need to outgrow the image you have of God? Is your image too small? Does your image of God prevent you from receiving and growing in grace? Does your image of God empower you to do what you are created to do, to reflect goodness, wisdom, and love? Our image of God creates us, says Richard Rohr. Our image of God shapes who we become. If we want to grow more and more in God's image, it is important for us to know what false images of God we carry around. Scripture, as it unfolds and will come to be written after this opening chapter, will compare God to many things as the people of God will try to express their experience and their changing understanding of this divine Holy One. They will say God is like an eagle, but they will also say God is like a dove. God is like a mountain but God is also like a mother hen. God is like a running father, but also like a nursing mother. God is like light, but God is also like a cloud. No single image will capture the mystery beyond the gates. God is not some photoshopped, enhanced version of who we are or who we want God to be. So from its first whispers, the Hebrew scriptures reject the images of the world around them and abandon any idea of God that reduces the creator to a version of the creature. Instead, the story of God begins like a film that realizes there are some things that are so profound and so beautiful and so powerful, it would only diminish them to show them. So the filmmaker leads us to a window or a doorframe and leaves us on the outside peeking through. Scripture begins outside the gates of dawn. So right from the first syllables, we will know that this one whom this story is about is too beautiful and too profound and too powerful for mortals to behold face to face. 
It will be thousands of years before this unseeable God takes on human form so that we can gaze upon the word made flesh, as John has written, and see God most clearly in Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, Genesis says, we can discover clues to God's character when we gaze upon what God has made. In the nuclear furnace of the stars, we see the workings of a mighty hand. In the delicate balance of forces that sustain the universe a little bit here and a little bit there, and we wouldn't even exist, we catch signs of the divine mind, a balance that God charges us to protect, we must remember. In the beautiful patterns of physics and mathematics, we behold a breathtaking order of the being who harnesses and limits the chaos. And yes, when we gaze upon one another, we catch reflections of the divine goodness, wisdom, and love that exist in the heart of God. These signs and reflections will not contain God, who is the central character of this story. But when we make a practice of gazing upon what God has made, a sense of mystery and wonder will stir again and again in us. The poet writes, days pass when I forget the mystery. Problems insoluble and Problems offering their own ignored solutions jostle for my attention. They crowd its antechamber along with a host of diversions. My courtiers wearing their colored clothes, caps and bells. And then, once more the quiet mystery is present to me. The throng's clamor recedes. The mystery that there is anything, anything at all, let alone cosmos and joy and memory, everything rather than void. And that, O Lord, creator, hallowed one, you still, hour by hour, sustain it. Friends, as Abraham Heschel points out, we human beings may be able to manipulate what is available on the surface of the world, but we must also stand in awe before the mystery of the world. Stand like every crowd that has approached the rim of the Grand Canyon stands and falls hushed. Stand like the woman I know who every time she hears our church bells chime, pauses wherever she is to bow her head and worship. In and out, and through our days, we must return to the gates of dawn and stand before the source, guide, and goal of all that is and bow our heads 
Because before anything else, our own story with God must begin and end with awe. Amen.